Hello and welcome to Perspective. This is a show by founders of digital creative agencies giving our perspective on starting and running our own companies. Their aim is to provide useful advice and inspiration to others as well as learn from each other and others we get to come talk on the show. This is our 20th episode. My name is John Dark. I'm a director at Every Interaction and joining me today I have Matthew Lindsay from Hanno. Hello Matt. Hello, how's it going? All right, how are you? Really good, just off the back of a long day but I'm feeling great now. Super. That sounds like a good start to 2017. It really is, but a tiring one. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So um, why don't you kick off by just giving us a little background on what Hanno do, what kind of uh, services you supply, and, and how you fit into the team over there. So Hanno is primarily a digital product design team. Mm-hmm. There are eight, eight of us in the team, and we help startups to grow and we help large enterprises to kind of innovate. And the way that we kind of do that is by helping them make their digital products and their organizations relatable, accessible, and human. So the idea is that we help them with complex ideas that they might have and find a way to translate that into a way that their users understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my primary role is I'm, I'm one of the founding members of Hanno. And um, externally, when I'm working on client projects, I help a lot with the strategy. So I help them when it comes to understanding their purpose and how to communicate that and how that gets uh, that becomes tangible through the product itself when that's realized. And then internally, I help the team with the vision and the social impact side of what we do, which I'm sure we'll touch upon a little bit later. Nice. So how did the, the company first form? So the company first formed when John, the the original founder, the, the guy that set it all up, um, started as as almost like a hobby, as a side project at school, mm-hmm. just creating websites on the side. And it's quite funny, really, because I, I went to school with John, and I remember just uh, watching him working away on computers, thinking, what's he doing? Like, what's this all about? Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of went on different journeys until uh, later on when I decided to come on board. But yeah, he, he started his own little business and found someone online that could help him who is another, now another full-time member of the team who was doing front-end development. And they were running um, small, a business serving small to medium-sized companies, just creating websites for a variety of different industries. Mm-hmm. And John approached me after we kind of, we, well, we'd regularly meet up for drinks and, and, and catch up. And he approached me saying, look, I would really love you to come on board because I need someone that can talk to clients and help bridge the gap between the business and the users. So I came on board and began to help them with that and eventually grew the role into this strategy role that it is now kind of mediating between the the business's objectives and the user needs and helping the technical team to deal with that. And slowly and organically, we we just grew and we brought in another uh, visual designer. And from that initial four, team of four, so at the time it was me, a guy called Arnas, a guy called Sergey, and John, we decided to become a distributed team because Arnas was working in Norway, Sergey was working in Russia, and John and I were working from London. And it was around that time that we decided to go on a, a trip, a, a remote trip, if you like, to Valencia. Mm-hmm. And I remember fondly trying to convince our clients that we weren't going on holiday uh, when we did it. But um, it was fundamental to us to be able to meet up with Sergey and Arnas and make sure that we were a team together. So 
I didn't actually mention this at the start of the show, but the eight members of the team are fully distributed. So one of the things that we believe in is that people should work from where they'd like to work, when they like to work. And as long as people communicate effectively, that shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. So what we, what we kind of did is make sure to keep that kind of bond that we, we were meeting up often. So yeah, we, we went to Valencia and we started working on projects there and we became even more remote later and brought more people in and it grew to what it is today i mean i could go into really granular details of how that journey unfolded but i don't know we'll be here all night maybe <laughs> yeah well i mean that's what we wanted to talk about a lot today is, is this this distributed model this distributed team that you have and how how you make that work so i think that's really unique it's something that i haven't seen any other agency do or or any other agency pull off and it's got to come with its own sort of challenges i'm sure how did the idea for it, having a distributed team come about in the first place? What was the what was the genesis of this idea? So when John and I were working in London together in the early days, one of the things that we imagined Hanno becoming is like a big office-led design team where everyone's in-house in London. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the vision. Standard model. The, stand, the standard model. And we had, you know, the aspirations that young guys do of, of growing a business in that respect. Mm. But when we did go to Valencia that first time and we took that risk of going out there and bringing the team together, it ha- I have to say it just felt organic and natural, but there was this kind of understanding that there was a, there was a freedom that was allowing us to do better work. So when I went to Valencia... And I was surrounded in this completely fresh environment that wasn't London. And I was constantly inspired outside of work, combined with the Spanish mentality of like a good two-hour lunch and then working either side of it. Like we just, I just began to notice that my productivity was increasing. I was, my well-being was increasing. I was doing after-work talks around the subjects that I was working on. And John and I both came away from that experience saying, do you know what? This is actually feasible with the technology we have now. The fact that we've main, managed to keep all of our clients happy and actually we went in with the mentality of under promising to our clients and over delivering and proving to them that this was a model that worked Mm -hmm. and let's just say that Valencia was the prototype for us thinking that remote could be a way a feasible way of working and from that moment we actually remember we were sitting in the park there and we said that we would commit from that point on to having two team trips a year where we would meet up and bond like that and then go our ways and be remote and carry on that way mm-hmm. and um yeah I, I can just i can just tell you that the the genesis of it was purely organic and all of the tr- all of the trials and tribulations and all of the wins that have come from that were from that point in, in the park in spain essentially wow so at the beginning there two of you were in london and two in spain so actually uh sergey was in russia arnas was in norway and arnas has actually got a really awesome story um, which is on our site. He wrote a blog about it. At the time, he was working as a janitor in IKEA. No way. Yeah, he he, <laughs> he has a very interesting story, and he was doing some some work for us, just um, making logos and doing some visual design work. And we knew him. He was freelancing with us. And on a whim, I was like, oh, I just I just wonder if if I invite him to to Valencia, will, will he come? So I just sent him this email, and I remember getting an email back that same day saying, absolutely, I'll see you there. And he booked his tickets and. He joined us and because he did that, he took that risk and he worked with us. I just remember saying to him over a coffee, you should come and work with us more. If you come and work with us, we'll get more work. I know it's going to happen. And he joined us from that moment. So he was in Norway doing kind of freelance, also part-time as a janitor. Sergey was in, in Russia and John and I were in London. And to me, we decided we'd all go to Valencia. That's amazing. 
And so where were you working from on that first trip? In uh, internet cafes or co-working spaces? How did it, how do you, how are you doing your day-to-day? So yeah, this was like at the very beginning of like the co-working scene, I would say. Um, especially in Spain, we found the one that was open called Workether. Okay. And it was set up by um, a Hyper Island graduate who wanted to prove the concept in Spain. And we went there and it was really, really refreshing. It wasn't like the WeWorks. It wasn't like these really polished, shiny, incredible spaces. It was really down to earth. It was in like an old art gallery, Mm. tables and chairs probably from a local market. And everyone there was just so warm and accommodating. They took us out for drinks on our first night, showed us the city, embedded us into events there that by the end of it, I actually felt like I was part of the community. And since then, I, I go back on a yearly basis. And we've actually had more team trips there because it just it became such a part of the experience. Mm. So, yeah, we were just set up in a co-working space, which, I mean, to be honest with you, if we had done, we were also using Airbnb when Airbnb had just started to take off, which is great. So we were using <laughs> Airbnb. And I can imagine if we'd worked in Airbnb then, in an apartment by ourselves for a month, living and working together or in cafes, I don't think that we would even have come up with this idea of having a remote model because it, would have, it wouldn't have felt the same. It would have been too intense living in each other's pockets or it just wouldn't have given you the same kind of feeling that there is something special about what we're doing. And I think that the co-working, it, it contributed to that quite significantly, actually. And is that a common theme now with all of your trips or, or do you do the take the Airbnb and all work from the same apartment? So after Valencia, we did a trip to... Um, Kuala Lumpur and Hong Kong and there it was the four of us at still at this point so at that point we were doing more co-working spaces and we tried out a really great one in Kuala Lumpur called Nook which was fantastic and then we went to the Hive in Hong Kong and both of those experiences were brilliant and we were still working on client projects on our team trips at this point so we needed to be in a space with great wi-fi great uh, facilities so the, the kind of team trip immediately after which was six months later was co-working and since then since the team's grown and since we don't need to specifically be working on client projects while we're having retreats we've started to just book um spaces where we can all hang together rather than going co-working spaces oh i see so you you, you treat these more as, as social things today than than as uh, opportunities to necessarily work all in the same place at the same time yes yeah, so what's interesting is like we, we we did the hong kong and kuala lumpur trip as a four and then the team trip after that, there was six of us plus we had brought along um, a design thinking facilitator mm. to educate us on how the process works. So we actually went to Buenos Aires with a design thinking facilitator and seven people. And what we were doing is socializing and bonding as a group, but through learning and through doing and through upskilling ourselves. So we actually went to Buenos Aires, booked out a big apartment with it almost felt like a hostel in a way it had like double beds and stuff and it was it was really nice it was just in the city and um yeah we spent the week socializing but actually we were there with a purpose and i think that these team trips if anyone's ever attempted to do retreats i think it's important to embed a sense of we're here for a reason but you don't have to have the pressure of delivering to clients or dealing with those calls so consequent and on, on following trips, we've always had that kind of motif. We're here to do something as a team that improves the business. Right. And so you may set yourself a little like a, a hack day style environment or working on your own internal stuff rather than having client deadlines where there's a bit more pressure and 
probably that creates an environment where you can't enjoy the environment you're in quite so much. Yeah, so like the following team trip that we did in Croatia, it was in a, a place called Dubrovnik. We were doing actually like a kind of hack week um, mm. where we created uh, two internal products in a week, which was quite fun. Oh, wow. In the following team trip after mm-hmm. Hong Kong, um, we were in Buenos Aires, and then after that we were in Croatia. And in both those retreats, we were actually coming up with ideas for internal projects and apps that we still use today. And we use those opportunities to maybe explore ways of diversifying our revenue streams. So coming up with with ideas that could generate money. Interesting. Yeah. So working all together when you're all in one place, be it on client projects on these early trips and these sort of uh, hack weeks when you're all together again, that all sounds you know, very good and viable and great for team building. But how do you make this distributed model work when you're at your day jobs and you're all spread around the globe? How How is it that you manage to make that work? So from an operational perspective, actually working on a project, mm-hmm. it's about installing a process that emphasizes over-communication. Over-communication? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's certain tips and tricks that I would say, like there's some certain things that I would strongly recommend in a team like this. Um, for example, always assuming positive intent if you don't hear back from someone and just giving them the space and the freedom. But there's this kind of culture at Hanno, which is like over-communicate. If, you, if you're in any doubt that someone might misinterpret what you're saying, give them a full brief, write things down. And actually, I remember, especially when we were just starting up, I was writing huge briefs and lots of essay-like documents for people. And it made me an extremely like competent writer because I was just having to do this. So it was kind of training me up in that sense. But also it meant that there was less room for people to misunderstand. And what I've actually noticed is in um, offices, offices when you're around people, you're not forced to communicate on the same level. So we actually created this kind of differentiator where we were extremely good at communicating that we could use with clients. So we have um, something called a PPP, which stands for plans, progress, and problems. And every day for the client, if they're working on a different different time zone to us or not, we would write a document which outlines what we plan to do tomorrow, full list of bullet points, the progress we've made in the day, and the problems we're stuck on. Mm-hmm. And that would just be an, an embedded part of our process. The same with something called Chico, which stands for check-in, check-out. And on Slack every morning and every evening, you'll tell people when you're around and when you're not around. And it's just little things like that. And I remember for... Um, for a while, we were also using Squiggle, which was a way of bringing everyone onto the screen. So, is that the simultaneous video product where you can just see everyone working all the time? Yeah, you would be able to. It takes a screenshot. Ah. It takes a snap of your from your camera every ten seconds. So it's not really that invasive, but you can also click on a picture and you can notify someone if you want to talk to them. So it was a way of bringing your office into your into your computer, which was really nice. So the way, the way operationally we make it work is through just we've developed a process again kind of organically over time where we emphasize certain communication tools that are needed to do this. So now we use Slack a lot, which I'm sure a lot of people will be extremely familiar with now. Um, we also, whenever there's um, something that someone doesn't understand, we jump into calls straight away. We're, we're making sure that we're running with clients stand-ups where they're involved in the process as much as we are. So we like to tell, tell them you're becoming part of our team. But actually we say it in the other way. We say um, we're becoming part of your team and we embed everyone together in Slack, in daily calls with these PPPs to keep everyone in the loop. And we just try and emphasize to people that the best work comes from this over-communication. 
Although I guess the word, the term over communication is a little bit misleading because there are times where you just don't need to shut, like give everyone an uh, information overload. So it's just being selective with what you're communicating. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So what are what is it that you're going over in in the stand-ups and the calls every day, and and how do you sync that up time zone wise? Yeah, I guess the the client could be anywhere in the world, right? And your team is distributed, so some of your team might be asleep while other parts of the team are are giving a stand-up with the client, and they're in different time zones. How how do you sort of coordinate all of that stuff? So in terms of coordination, depending on the client, I, can, I we had um, a, a few clients in San Francisco, and mm-hmm. With with the stand ups, if from being being on a London time zone, and um, that would typically be in my evening. And there are times when we're working on projects where one, I mean, this has happened where someone's been in Sydney while I've been in London while we're talking um, in San Francisco to the client. But what is really really nice about that is I'll do my work in the day. I'll speak to the client. The client will unblock me and let me know what to do. Then I'll hand over to one of the teammates that's in Sydney and then they'll work. I'll be in sleep. I'll wake up. The work's ready. And I like to kind of call it like the time zone baton that you're passing on. Yeah. So like if you can plan it correctly, you're, you're in this kind of perpetual motion where you're working around the clock even though you're not. So to go back to what was the actual question, like – <laughs> well, just how how do you coordinate it all so yeah. if there's a stand-up everyone can't be in it because some people might be sleeping or, or just be in a completely different zone i'm guessing you set stand-ups based around the client and their schedule and so you pick the person closest to that time zone to be in the stand-up with them and give them the daily update but then the other team members aren't in it and so how does that that sort of chain of information get passed down how does that baton get uh, handed from one person to the next yeah well one with the PPP, so that document's getting constantly updated, so everyone's in the loop. Two with Asana. So it depends on the client and how familiar they are with tools. Some, some clients find tools really overwhelming, so you keep it simple. You just say Slack and video calls and maybe a GDoc. Mm-hmm. With clients that we have longer-term partnerships with, we'll get to-do lists and tasks all put in into, into Asana. And typically, there'll be we don't really believe in a hierarchical structure at Hano, so there's no real manager, so to speak. But there are people that anchor projects that are like the, the client relationship person. So that I would describe myself as an anchor typically on a project and I'll be working closely with the client and then I'll relay information to the team. Because what is important is that the team have a healthy life, uh, work-life balance. So what I'll do is occasionally just have the late call and then relay that information back via video. Or what I did try on one very intense project was using Hangouts on Air or Google Hangout Air. It, it's just basically this way of recording um, a Google Hangout and then it's straight onto YouTube, but you can make a, a private video so no one can see it. Mm-hmm. So I would actually just record myself and screen share, drop it onto my private YouTube channel, and people would be able to just um, actually get a live demo of what we need to do for the day there. Mm-hmm. So th- I think the, the, the way that Hano kind of operates is just being very resourceful. So like if we see a way of getting the information across in the most effective way in the here and now, then we'll do that. Although we do have more we have stricter processes for some things, but when it comes to comms, it's really like, how can we communicate this specific thing in the best way and the best uh, in the shortest amount of time? Interesting. And how does your PPP in terms of a day and your stand-up relate to the client? Because I guess a day is relative if you're working with people around the world, right? So is it all just based on, on their schedule and that, that sort of forms your update point? Yeah, I guess if... Um, it was a solar system. They would be the sun, and then we're the planets that go around the client. Right. 
Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. Like we wouldn't ask a client to do anything outside of work hours. Um, and because of the way that we operate, we don't really have set times for people to work. We just say, work these are the hours that you're allocated to work, do them when you see fit. So let's say, for example, I've got a, a late night call and I'm working till like 9 p.m. That means that I won't start early the next day. Mm-hmm. So I'll just plan my schedule accordingly around the client and their needs, but without being so flexible that it disrupts my life. It's about finding compromise. And a lot of the clients that we work with are just, they, they totally get that. They're not expecting to join them on a 2 a.m. call. But if you can catch them at the end of your day in the beginning of theirs and there's like an hour overlap, like I, I lit- I've literally done that tonight, then it, it works fine. Okay. What if you've got, you know, one person working in Milan, one person in Budapest, one in Australia, one in London, all working on the same project? Do you ever need to be working on the same thing at the same time? How do you handle the crossover periods between those time zones if you've got, say, two people are you know working on the same problem at the same time how how do you manage that is it again just about communicating when you know that other people are online at the same time and, and chipping in together uh and then maybe get to get to a point pausing it and when the next person wakes up they pick it up again and take it from there how does all that work again it boils down to like solid communication and people when we start a project they'll let people know their work hours up front and people will booking pairing sessions whether that's pairing on code or pairing on visuals or even content strategy. Like I think some of us have even paired on writing copy before. Um, we're able to do that because people are so upfront about their schedules that we're able to know well in advance. And I think what's quite nice about the remote way of working is that you can choose when you're collaborating and when you have this kind of pure zen-like focus on your project. So if I need to go and get things done, I can easily just close down my computer. I'm in a room in solitude. I'll just get that done. And then when I do need to pair, because we're communicating in such a way where we're booking in pairing sessions on Google Calendar or maybe we're even just live chatting in in Slack and we decide we want to have a quick conversation, I'll have the ability to some really focused collaboration as well. Okay, so you do plan some of that in advance and try to try to plan, especially those pairing sessions together. Yeah, I think it's important, especially on, it depends on the nature of the project. Some are quite quite flexible others are like well we have deadlines to meet let's make sure that we are getting our pairing sessions in um but it it is kind of off the cuff it's just like how it feels on the day and you still manage to make this work because you guys you guys work pretty agile right you're doing everything in sprints yeah so you still manage to make that sprint logic work with this this distributed team and everyone in in a different time zone yeah and it's mainly down to the fact that we have the these online tools that are really helping us out with that Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know if it would even be possible to do this without things like Asana or Trello or Slack or having these video calls. I mean, it is really dependent on they're like the glue, if you like, that enable us to work with the sprint process, but remotely. And what kind of makeup of team skills and different personalities? Does it take a certain personality type in order to make this model work as well? Or do you think, do you think anyone could, could pick this up and, and make it work for their business? Um, that's a really good question. Um, so on, uh, there's different, there's, there's lots of variants. Like on a client project, in terms of the skills that we usually need, we, we need to have, we, we like having like people that are skilled in many different areas, like have like a T-shaped skill set, but with a kind of predominant focus on a certain area. So like we'll we'll create pods. That's what we like to call them. Of of teams of three, we call it. We'll call them a pod. 
Mm-hmm. And there'll typically be a strategist with a content focus um, and a narrative focus. There'll be a front-end designer that's very much focused on the technical side of a project. And then you'll have a visual designer that's able to bring the narrative and the content to life. And they'll all work together. Um, and I find that that's a really nice blend on projects, especially when we're, doing, we're creating marketing sites or we're doing some rapid prototyping where we're testing and building ideas with users. It's quite a nice blend of, of people. But then in terms of personality types required to make remote work, I've noticed that remote is more conducive to introverted people mm-hmm. that like having their own space and being you know, in their own world. Mm-hmm. And then people like myself, who I describe myself as being a little bit more extroverted, it's a little bit more, little bit harder because you want to be surrounded by people. You want to be talking a lot. You want to be engaging with people. Mm-hmm. So the thing is that remote doesn't work with just introverted people or just extroverted people. It needs a nice blend. You need to have a nice mix of everyone. So some people are working from home and like in London, your, your base, you're working from a co-working space. Yeah, exactly. To resolve my own challenges about wanting to be around people. And I would recommend this even to introverted people because... It's just quite a nice atmosphere to go to work rather than be at home. But obviously, people should work where they feel happiest and most comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I I embedded myself in a co-working space to be part of a community. And I also run a product design meetup in London. So just two ways for me to get what I need there. And also, a bunch of video calls and team meetings always help. So I'm always pestering people online to chat to me. Like, that's just kind (laughs) of how I do it. But it's actually really nice having introverted people and extroverted people in a team that's remote, because what you'll find is remote evens the, the, the playing field. If you're all in a room together, you'll, you'll notice that introverted people or people that are shy or quiet, that usually have brilliant ideas, can be um, drowned out by people like myself that are quite vocal and like to talk a lot. And when you get into a remote situation where you're writing things down a lot, you've got these PPPs going on, and you're discussing in Asana threads, everyone's got the time and the space to contribute equally. So what it does is it completely changes the, the d- dynamics of the team where everyone's feeling that they contribute and no one's getting drowned out. Um, and another, this is a tangent, but a cool knock-on effect to all of this is that you're no longer judged on how loud you are and how impressive you sound. You're judged on what you contribute. So a lot of the time when people think of remote, especially when they bring on someone new, they're always really worried. They're like, oh, that person's going to slack off or they're not going to get everything and it's going to be difficult. But what you find is that you'll discover very quickly if someone is capable of working on the projects you're working on because they're judged not on what they say and what they're able to get away with verbally, but actually by what they deliver. So it's a really like interesting environment because remote workers typically tend to work a lot harder than people realize. And one of the biggest things that I've had to deal with in the team is actually telling them to stop working because you give people so much freedom to work at their own hours and how they want to work that they feel like that comes with a lot of responsibility. So you actually get the complete reverse effect of what people assume. Oh, people are slacking off like because they have no one's watching them, but actually people feel like it's their duty to work harder. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And I can see how you can get the productivity benefits of letting people wanting to work how they want to work because, you know, the standard model of making everyone come to an office every day sort of forces people into a mold that they may not be comfortable in. And therefore, I guess, you know, if they're not as comfortable, they're not as happy, they're not as productive. Absolutely. And then the one, I think, core attribute to a remote worker or someone that's in a model that we are is having a level of assertiveness to them. 
Mm-hmm. So when you're in a remote team, you're, and especially one like ours where we have no hierarchy, it's about setting your own schedules, setting your own tasks, setting your own times. Like we give people complete and utter autonomy um, on the provider that everyone's communicating and talking because we believe that there's great strength in that. But I do, I, I would say that when I look for people to, to work with us, one of the key things I'm looking for is how proactive are they? How assertive are they? How much do they care about what they're doing? So when someone like sends in a job application, for example, the first thing I'll look at is not their work, but whether they have a blog, whether they're talking about what they're doing, whether they care enough to be proactive, because it's such a great sign if someone's got that entrepreneurial kind of spirit that they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I want to make this work. And I do think that that's important in a remote team because you've got no one holding your hand. Yeah. You, you create a community and people are supporting you, but you've got no one telling you what to do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, well, a lot of people would probably argue that that's pretty important to look for regardless of whether they're remote or not, I guess, because it's, it's a great skill to be able to have. And it generally means that that person's going to be more engaged and more interested in the things that they're doing. Absolutely. Yeah, I can, can disagree with you on that one. Cool. And I think something else that I, I find quite unique about you guys is the way that you just document everything that you do. You, your process is your sales tool. And the way the way you do your work is becomes part of your culture and the way in which you outwardly communicate to the world you document everything through you know you blog pretty extensively about the things you do you've spent a lot of time in in writing your playbook which is really interesting putting your whole sort of um, corporate manual online and your philosophy how how do you think those things play into into both just selling your services and contributing to the culture that, that you guys are building yeah, this culture of transparency and just being really radically transparent and sharing things, I guess for people that haven't really experienced that before, it must be like, it must appear a little bit crazy. You're like, you guys are just telling <laughs> people, how, like you could literally download this manual and, become, and you could become a business exactly the same tomorrow if you wanted. What we found from people is when we're able to share and contribute to the community and give back and, and actually just say, this is what we're about, this is how we do things, it puts us in a position where we are we are saying this is the knowledge and you can have it and we are almost thought leaders in this space this is what we do and we're really comfortable in sharing that and i think when people see that comfort around the fact that we're there to share and to give back and to help people automatically assume that these people will be good to work with i think and we found that as a not that it's ever been intended as a marketing tool but we found that people will approach us and will talk to us based on the fact that we are radically transparent and from the, from the playbook on, like even the team now have this like this transparency that's filtered all the way through. So I mentioned we've created a Slack bot happiness tracker for remote teams so that another tangent, but you, something that happens in remote is before you have a call, you don't actually know how people are like emotionally, like if they're happy, sad, or if they've had a hard day or whatever. So we created this happiness tracker and people get to pick an emoji out of one to five of how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. That also probably sounds a little bit strange. Like people are being very open about actually how they're feeling on a specific day. Um, so we created a Slack bot called Oscar that does this. And that has come from this culture of transparency where everyone even now feels really open in sharing how they feel, what they're doing, what they're, what they're about. Like it just goes into almost every element of the internal culture. Mm. And then externally, people are just intrigued and they want to learn more. So it feels like it's just win, win, win. I guess in a culture of oversharing or over communicating, uh, as, as you called it, 
<laughs> oversharing something different. <laughs> but uh, I guess because you're not there, you can't read the physical signs from everybody with every snippet of communication that you're making, uh, especially in text form that you can get from sitting next to someone permanently. Uh, if you know if they had a bad night's sleep or they're not feeling so well, you could take that into account in the over-communication that you're having with them. Absolutely. And I mean, I've had it where I'm trying to deliver like some really great news about a new vision and if I if I see someone that's like not responding well to it I get confused and I'm like what what's happening but if I've seen that they've checked in and they're saying actually do you know what guys I was kept all up all night by a party next door <laughs> and then then I see that they're tired like I can completely change the way that I deliver news or update people or if someone and this has happened before if someone's having like a crisis or there there's something really bad going wrong I can jump in and help them and it gives people the – it's so important that people tell you when these things are going on so you can support and you can help your team. So fundamentally, that's a core premise. It's like be transparent and tell people so that they can support you. It's not just so overshare or like give away too much information. It's, it's so as a, as a unit we can come together. Because I think there is a kind of tightrope that you have to walk between it feeling like you're almost seven or eight different businesses or – freelancers working and feeling part of a unit. Yeah. So one of the things with with Hanno is like, we need to have weekly team calls. We need to make sure people are talking to each other and we're having these remote trips because we want people to feel like they're part of the Hanno culture and part of a team mm -hmm. rather than being isolated, which you have to be consciously wary of as a distributed worker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in a nutshell, what would you say that, that the, the benefits to clients are about this model? Obviously, there's lots of benefits for you guys. I think we've covered that pretty well. But what what's, what does the client get using someone like you guys who follow this model versus the more traditional, everybody sat in the same office in the same city kind of model? Well, I think for the clients that we work with, one of the things is that we're working in a way that no one else is working. We function like a startup. So well, we are, I'd say, a startup. We have no hierarchy. We're fully distributed. People can work where they want. But it also goes further than that. We set up a, a company where people get to choose their own salaries, where they get to choose the amount of holiday they take. We're actually completely changing the way that we believe organizations should be run. And as a part of that, and also, yeah, we're, we're a social business. So we redirect the profits that we make into socially motivated organizations. So we're doing all of this stuff and making the business what we believe is the right way of running a business. And in doing so, we're attracting clients that are intrigued by that. They're intrigued by a company with a purpose, with a mission, that treat their team as human beings. So the value to, to some people, especially larger enterprises, they're like, wow, these guys are on like the kind of cusp of the future of business. We want to find out more. So some people work with us because of that. And then from an, like a kind of natural perspective, I think being working the way we do creates a lot of empathy. You're constantly thinking about other people and how they're doing and how they're feeling. And I think as designers, we, we are naturally quite empathetic and that flows into our work. So when I talk to um, companies now, what I'm telling them is that we're making, we're going to help you make your products relatable, accessible, and human, which is like my, my three words that I say, because through having this culture and this way of working, I feel like we're putting humans first Forget about users and numbers. Like, because if you say users, automatically they become numbers and these abstract things. Mm -hmm. What we're saying to people is, we put human beings first. We're human-centered design team, and I think that that has a lot of value in the way that we make products and we create them and how they're they're realized. And it also 
that kind of human-centered approach, both internally and externally, just allows businesses to build relationships with you much easier. They don't feel like, hey, you're a design agency that's going to take my brief, disappear for three months, and then show me what you've got, and then take my budget. Like People feel a lot more at ease with the way that we work, especially being so transparent as well. They feel like these guys have got, this team have got nothing to hide. They're there for us. They're part of our team. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, there's lots of intangible benefits. There's certainly real tangible benefits, like the time zone baton thing that I was sending you about, and the fact that as a distributed team, you're able to source the best talent regardless of location. Mm. So that's an obvious real benefit. So we can say, we're going to source the best talent to you. They don't all have to be in London. Mm-hmm. We can bring together people from diverse cultures that will have a really interesting outlook on life and therefore can design in a very different way to a team of people within a certain mold. So they're all in London or they're all in this place or whatever. So it gives us tangible and intangible benefits, if that makes sense. Yeah, interesting. So in in selling this model to a client, have you ever encountered any, has anybody ever had any issues with it or any fears about doing things differently this way? I think that when you say that you're a remote team, there is fear in certain people that just don't understand that. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, the priority for us when it comes to client work in general is delivering really, really strong designs on time, on budget, and making sure that the first thing people think about when they think about our team is the work we do. So if that's the first thing they think about and they see the level of our work and the quality of our work, the other stuff just becomes a point of curiosity. They're like, so you're able to do all of this remotely. How does that work? I would say that the way that we sell what we do is just by being really good at what we do from a delivery perspective. Mm -hmm. And then the other side of it is this whole human first like we're about doing this together with your team um, and this is how we're able to do that and this is the the kind of reasons why so the things like the playbook and the, the blog and the way that we talk about us that's a really core component of that also i'd say and do you do you think that your your approach and your philosophy is the main driving force behind you know clients finding finding you seeking you out and asking you to to do work for them yeah i'd say so mm-hmm. i'd say that that people seek us and come to us more than we would necessarily approach people. Um, And one of the things that I really like personally, one of the things that I I really love about the Hano website is the purpose page where we've clearly outlined why we exist, why we do what we do and our values. Um, Because I always think that you should just say what you're about clearly and upfront and then you can filter away anyone that doesn't agree with your stance Mm -hmm. so that when people do come to you, they're already primed. I'm ready for that. And I think that's another cool thing about the playbook is that people already come to you knowing what you do so that when you're in calls about working together, there is already a level of understanding that's been established. So if anything, it's just do it, it's doing the bulk of the work before you even got to that conversation with a prospective client. Yeah, it's amazing. And <laughs> you make me really want to try it and, uh, <laughs> and see if it's possible. I love, I love the idea of living anywhere in the world and still being able to do amazing work and, and have, have the freedoms you talk about. It, it sounds like a, a dream come true and, you know, a vision of the future. Yeah, I think it's that coupled with the fact that we're, we're wanting to try and do something meaningful with what we do. So this idea of using design as a means to amplify and enable the good that people are already doing in the world. Because I think as designers, we're in a position where we do amplify people's work. We do get to show companies' best 
bits. You know, we get to actually say, this is what this company is all about. You should buy their products or you should follow them or whatever. And like being able to do that for socially motivated organizations, specifically for me in environmental causes, is, is a real like goal. It's a real like, I can get up and out of bed and every morning be like, this is what I want to do. And I think that this combination of having autonomy, um, the ability to obviously choose your own salaries, work when, you, when you're going to work, and then this idea that you can master skills through working with Hanno so you can become really great at doing front end or visual design or, or content strategy combined with this sense of purpose, like, hey, we're here to do scalable impact that amplifies and enables good in the world is the three cornerstones of a really, a really motivated team that care about what they do. And I think that that's a really important facet of any organization, whether it's remote or in-house. Yeah, you're going to have to tell me about this choosing your own salary thing another time. It sounds absolutely fascinating. <laughs> yeah, oh, there's a, you need to look up um, Teal Organizations and a book called Reinventing Organizations by Frederick Lalou. Okay. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's French. So Lalou sounds about right. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, and that explains a little bit about the ways of operating without managers and hierarchy and, and actually going through these processes of people selecting their salaries and choosing their own holidays and mm. choosing even more projects we work on. So we get to, if there's a project that people feel strongly against, they can veto a project that we work on, for example. There's all of these little facets that come, come through, mm. or these little intricacies of how we work. Lovely. So what does 2017 hold? Any new ideas or developments on the horizon? And where, where are you guys going to head next on your, uh, on your next away week? Yeah, this is all the fun stuff. Um, <laughs> okay, so 2017, we are starting to deliver workshops to clients. So we're coaching them, hmm. helping them to, to become more human-centered, educating them about remote, about UX, and about design thinking, all the things we're quite passionate about. That's interesting. Yeah, so we're starting to do a lot more coaching and advising because mm -hmm. it's one of our core strengths are you going to do that remotely as well or are you going to be more sort of in-house with them doing that yeah so right now we offer remote workshops uh Ooh. so mm. and yeah so if anyone's interested they, they can certainly sign up to those and we're not doing it just for like large enterprises for anyone that just wants to understand how that works so you're a disembodied head talking to a to a group of people in a room perhaps going through kind of imagine it like zordon from power rangers you know yeah. that big head in the tube um, <laughs> well you can get those little bots now can't you that have a uh, move around and you have your your face on an ipad on this little robot yeah, walking totally. around the room <laughs> i think what, what we'll end up doing is a blend it's really great to be able to do remote workshops it's also really great to do them in person hmm. it just depends on on the client or the people that want to want to learn and what they want to learn um, so that's one area. The other area is we've built a user testing tool called Ping Pong mm -hmm. that is kind of using the idea that you can connect with remote testers from anywhere. So you could talk to Japanese 35-year-old men um, and test your product with them. Mm -hmm. So we've got this um, spin-off product where one of our team members has decided to go and run. So he's running one of our products that we came up with in one of these retreats which is really great and mm -hmm. um, so that's really exciting and then from a from our core business perspective it's about finding people clients that want to do social impact work on a large scale and helping them to will help we want to help them to test these ideas and then concept them and through rapid prototyping and help them to communicate 
the good that they're trying to do. So there's there's different ways that we want to kind of to do that in 2017. Great. Yeah. And so where's your next trip? Oh, uh, yeah. The best one. Um, <laughs> so Sri Lanka. Ooh. As a kind of aside, John, when we went to our Kuala Lumpur trip, ended up meeting his fiance there. And they're getting married in Sri Lanka. Wow. So this is a very special event. It's an extremely special event. So we're doing a team retreat just before the wedding. And then we're going to be in Sri Lanka. And then we're doing, we're having, we're going to all be there for the wedding. Wow. Um, a couple of days later. And it's quite a nice way to, to finish this because, yeah, from our second team trip, John actually ended up meeting the person he was going to marry. And he was li- he's living there now. So he, he started a new life for himself through this whole remote world. So I came back to London and was running things here while he went out and did that. So it just goes to show you that, you know, when you go distributed or, or remote, all of these things can happen. Great story. Amazing. Well, I hope you guys have a good time. And um, yeah, why don't you tell us where people can find you and more about Hanno? Yeah, so if anyone's interested in my ramblings today, um, you can go to hanno.co, so H-A-N-N-O.co, and from there you'll be able to access our playbook, our blog. You'll be able to see some of the the work that we've worked on. And if you're interested in me, um, you can. I don't even. I don't really use much social media. <laughs> <laughs> I am on Twitter though at, at Teo Lenzi, so A T at. T-E-O-L-E-N-Z-I. And you can tweet me. I don't know when I'll look at it, but I'm, I'm around. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Well, thanks for coming on, Matt. It's been great speaking. Yeah, it's been really great. I, I love talking about this stuff, so thanks for having me on board. And thanks to everyone else for listening. I've been John Dark at Doctor on Twitter from Every Interaction. You can find us online at everyinteraction.com, on the web, and at Every Interact on Twitter. If you'd like to contact us about this episode or find any of our past episodes, you can do so on our website at perspective.fm or send us an email directly to get at perspective.fm. We're on the Twitter as well, underscore perspective.fm, and we're easy to find in your podcast app of choice. Just search for perspective.fm in Google Music, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, whatever you like to use. All the links are on our website along with the show notes from this episode. And we'll see you next time. Thanks very much. Bye, Matt. Bye.